0: Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. Our mission at Better Boards is to provide proven solutions for creating more effective boards. Our evidence-based board evaluations and board development programs deliver tangible results. To fulfill our mission, we listen and give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Every time you tune in, we'll help you to develop and reinvigorate your board know-how and practice with insights, data, and practical advice. All the views expressed in our podcast are the views of our podcast partners and not those of Better Boards. What really matters in boardrooms in 2020 and beyond. I'm very honoured that Sir John Parker is joining me in this episode. Sir John has earned a reputation for his tough approach at the helm of the UK's largest corporations and is associated with with a number of major turnarounds. Sir John is chairman of Pennon PLC and the engineering and construction group Lane He He's also non-executive director of Carnival PLC and Carnival Corporation. He was president of the Royal Academy of Engineering. He stepped down as chairman of Anglo-American and National Grid. And he was also a non-executive director at Airbus. His career has spent the engineering, shipbuilding, paper, utility, aerospace, energy, mining, and defense industries. He has over 25 years' experience as CEO, including Harland & Wolf and Babcock International Group. He has also chaired the Court of the Bank of England between 2004 and 2009. Sir John has chaired the Government's Commission Independent Review, into the ethnic diversity of UK Boards since 2016. Welcome, Sir John. It's a tremendous honor. Uh, Thank you so much for making time to contribute to our podcast series. You have had a very, very distinguished career, and you traveled an enormous distance. I mean, you were brought up at a farm in Northern Ireland. You worked as a naval engineer at shipyards in Belfast. You served as CEO and have become one of the most sought-after and highly regarded chairman in the UK. What does it really take to travel such distances?
1: I think that's a very challenging question, actually. But if I go back to my roots, and you mentioned the fact that I did grow up on a farm in Northern Ireland, when I do look back, I realize that there were quite a number of important behavioral values that were embedded in me there probably in a subconscious way. First of all, I learned that hard work was necessary. I learned the importance of integrity in the dealings my father would have had with other farmers and so on. I learned that it was very important to respect people and their views and I learned also that managing your time was very important and also A focus on priorities and I would say that those characteristics have become more and more embedded in my life as I've moved on and they've served me very well and I think also then I would say that the other important development in my life was actually studying naval architecture and mechanical engineering and uh, that trained my mind in a disciplined way and it also, I think engineering in particular, teaches you to solve problems in a very disciplined manner uh, and in a logical manner. And also, you are, particularly a naval architect. you have to be creative. There's the artistic side to that, which is important. And I think all of these things blend into the overall skill sets. And I was fortunate, I did my studies uh, over a five to six year period, part-time and full-time. But at the same time, I was also learning a lot about practical application of engineering in the production of ships and their repair, etc. So I emerged with a very good practical and academic education. And I combined those with the, the values that I learned as a young man on the farm. And I think they've all collectively somehow served me well because i probably the other thing i would just add at this point is that i have never gone into a company where engineering has not been flowing somewhere through the bloodstream of of the organization and the only exception i ever made was to chair the bank of uh, bank of england for a five-year period ending in the financial crisis so that um was the only exception.
0: So it is, I mean, that captures it tremendously. I mean, it's a major achievement to secure a role as a CEO of a major organization. But what is even more impressive is to stay at the top for decades. I mean, you mentioned all these qualities, and we all know that the tenure of CEOs can be quite short these days. Maybe, can you talk a little bit more, what does it really take to stay on the top for decades?
1: Well, I think that's also another challenging question. I think you obviously apply yourself in the most rigorous way you can in all of these jobs. But at the end of the day, if you have the good fortune to be appointed as a leader, you have to build great teams of people. And as people who are all important and choosing the right people, And then developing them and stretching them in your organization is so important. And if you ultimately are a chairman, the most important job you do clearly is choosing a great chief executive officer and then building a very strong relationship with him or her. And I think then, and some companies don't pay sufficient attention to this, it's becoming more to the fore now, is to build the right culture in the company. And that, for me, has always been about the values that you represent as the leader. It's about the values that you collectively with your board decide are how we're going to do things around here. And then it's about having, I always look to install in a board, first of all, leading governance practices, because that's the discipline that you bring to the company. Secondly, very strong central financial control and thirdly, sound administration and compliance. And by sound administration I mean the proper processes, the proper approval processes. It's just how we do things in a disciplined way so that everyone knows what they've got to do to achieve an end result. And that installing that, those uh, characteristics, if you like, of the operating philosophy is very important. And I tried to do that in all the companies in which I served. So that people have no doubt also what the organization stands for, why we're organized in the way we are, and that there's very clear lines of responsibility and accountability and that the responsibility and authority is always coterminous.
0: We all know that this is how it should be, but so few companies actually manage to do what you just described. I mean, in every country we see all these scandals. Yes. What do you say to this?
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's so important that the tone from the top which is the combination of the chairman and the chief executive. And this is where when you hire a CEO, it's terribly important to have good alignment between the values you want to see installed in the company and that you pursue, and his or her values. And it's an area that I would always examine quite carefully in interview processes. But when you get alignment, and I've been fortunate in choosing a number of CEOs where we've had great alignment where I don't pull the operating levers, they run the company, I manage the board, but we have that alignment in the boardroom of the values we expect to be represented by management out in dealing with customers or dealing with the public or dealing with any of our stakeholders, wherever we operate in the world. And that's a very important point. We shouldn't operate with different principles in Australia versus Brazil or Chile. We should be consistent. And I think consistency is, is very, very important. And then it's very much about developing the right characteristics in the leadership of each part of the company. There are a number of characteristics that I always associate with the good leader. And maybe we can touch on those later.
0: No, that would be very, very helpful because this leads to my next question. It is capturing your tremendous experience. And what should, in your view, the next generation of chairmen and chairwomen who listen to this podcast take away from your experience?
1: Well, I think there are some common threads that will run through all of these questions I come back to the simple ones that have very clear values, have very clear strategies in your organization, regardless of whether it's 1900 or whether it's 2030 or 2050. There is some absolutely key planks that need to be present to give a good foundation in the company. As I say, there is the values, Is a clear strategy, which, by the way, should be owned always by the board. The board owns the strategy. They will empower the CEO to go out and execute it with his management team or her management team. And the board will hold the CEO accountable for its delivery. I think there are, of course, some very important points you've always got to keep in mind. If you are the leader in 2020 plus, the characteristics of integrity will always be present or must be present. You also have to remain authentic. People have to trust you. And after all, it's people that you are seeking to inspire. It's people that you are intent on developing and giving more authority to it, people that you want to empower, to deliver. And that means you as the leader, whatever age it is, you've got to listen to them. You have got to be decisive when you get feedback from them. Do we go in this direction? Do we not? We need to take their opinions into account. And But above all, you've got to be, as the leader, a very good communicator. Someone once said that communication is the sister of leadership. And I thought that was a wonderful expression that I've held on to. And then there are times when you've got to be courageous. Sometimes the boat is rocking quite severely in some crisis that hits the company. I can recall an Anglo-American two such crisis when I first went in. I was parachuted in. The company was under attack from another mining company that wanted to do a nil premium merger. So we had to drive those tanks of the lawn. But we had at the same time a massive crisis going on in the world in 2008-9 at the end of the financial crisis. And then a number of years later, with the new CEO, we had a massive downturn in commodity prices in 2014-15. And in two years, over a two-year period, it wiped $6.6 billion of our revenue. Wow. Now, that is a crisis. That is a crisis. But we knuckled down and as a board and with a great CEO, we found our way through it. And the share price went down to something under £3. And today, I guess, it's up around £21. So we just did very, took very tough decisions, very courageous decisions. But we did it collectively with a great board. And that's the other point I would come back to. that It doesn't matter if you're in 2020 or 2050. I think boards will always be very important. And to build great boards, you need to build a great bandwidth of experience and knowledge. So the broader the width of that band of knowledge and experience, the better. you have also to be very conscious, I believe, in this day and age of the diversity on the board. Gender diversity is something I have been pursuing for quite a number of years. I was member of the Davis Committee here in the UK that targeted 25% of the board as women. And uh, the cynics, of course, were all on the sidewalk saying it'll never be achieved in five years. We set that target and it was achieved. Um, and now it's something over 30%. Yeah. So, and I've also been chairing uh, for the government in the last uh, three years, four years, a an investigation into ethnic diversity on our boards because I think the next generation of leaders have to be very aware of the fast changing demographics in our own country but also in the world at large
0: Let's talk a little bit more about this The review actually carries your name Are you satisfied with the progress that has been achieved since its publication, I believe, in 2016?
1: Well, I think, first of all, it was always going to be like the women on boards, a journey and not a, not a clear that des- We had a destination in terms of our aims, but arriving at the destination in terms of a precise time is always difficult mm-hmm. to predict. Mm-hmm. Having said that, the journey is underway, And we're more than halfway through that five year period now where we set a target of one ethnically diverse company, a member of the one ethnically diverse member of the board on each FTSE one hundred company by twenty twenty one, the end of twenty one, and for the FTSE two hundred and fifty, the end of twenty four. So if we stick with the FTSE one hundred, we are just over sixty percent of the companies have achieved that. We have around 37 or some percent to go. It looks steep, the climb between now and the end of 21, but I believe that is still possible. And with serious leaders who think through the business case, it's not our job to make the social case as business people, although it's important to put your shoulder behind that. We have made the case on a business basis of number one, Better alignment with your customer base, be it at home or overseas. And secondly, is the business case that the pool in which we fish for talent, be it for the boardroom or be it for our executives, is changing and changing rather fast. And if I give you the facts in the UK, for example, 14% of the population today is ethnically diverse with some excellent university results if you go back over the last 20-25 years from that community. By 2030, it's forecast that that 14% could be around 20%. By 2050, some forecasts are suggesting 30%. If you look at the overseas market, where, for example, the FTSE 100, about 75% of our sales go there, or come from there, half the world's population growth between now and 2050 will actually occur in just nine countries, five of which are in Africa and three in Asia. So that we have a world that is changing very fast indeed and will have big implications for our customer base and for our recruitment base.
0: No, that's very helpful to get these very concrete figures. In my view, a lot needs to be done to really create even more awareness around these figures yes. and initiate the the actions around this.
1: Yeah. I think business yeah. leaders, for many business leaders, and I have to say for myself, when we started four years ago on all of this research with the University of Cranfield and so on, we had a lot of surprises just how fast the world was changing around us and I think for business leaders we all need from time to time wake up calls based on facts or forecasts that make us think in a different way but we need to be open-minded mm-hmm. business leaders need to be open-minded and they have to listen and learn and at the same time listening and learning they have to think outside the box and get ahead of the curve. And um, it's so important now that in the world, because in this century, there are many stakeholders who have increasing expectations of us as business leaders to do the right thing. And diversity on boards is clearly one, both ethnic and gender. There are a number of stakeholders now who are really making quite strong statements about that. Goldman Sachs, this past couple of weeks, has made a statement to say they're not prepared to IPO your company unless they're satisfied with your diversity policies. So they would not have said that three years ago. So the world is changing and changing fast. And we as business leaders need to have very open minds to capture all of that. And then, above all, deeds, not words. and. It's very important. I have a wonderful Japanese friend who once said to me, do you have NATO in your company? And I was very puzzled. He said, N-A-T-O, no action, talking only. And I think that leaders have the great responsibility to take action and not just talk.
0: That is such rich insights. Now, on a more practical level, when... do these board evaluations, I hear our agendas are already full. There is no more room. You tackle a lot of issues that are so much at the heart of success and yes, when I see the board agendas, they're very often filled with other items. Yes. So, how can Chairman really incorporate everything that you talked about?
1: I think that The boardroom is one place where, yes, from time to time you have these discussions, but I always find board dinners are particularly helpful to discuss some of these issues in a much more relaxed environment, particularly issues concerning people. And when it comes to the composition of the board, again, a good nominations committee will ventilate these issues and they will plan them we know when certain non executives should be retiring we know when they're going to be evaluated at 3 years, 6 years and 9 years in the UK so we know that at 9 years we definitely have to replace now so you plan for that and you try to look at the composition etc. in the nominations committee but you'll also have open discussion around the boardroom table no one need be surprised that They are having to leave the board because it's well set out. And I always set out in a chart the period that you will occupy on this board. And that goes for me too. And uh, so we all have a limited time in the UK. It's very different in America, but that's how it is. So I think informal discussion, good discussion in your nominations committee on these issues. But values, for example, is something that is a boardroom issue. Values and your codes of conduct are something for the whole board and should be done in formal session. And I recall in the middle of our great crisis that I described in Anglo-American, we still took time out in one board meeting in the middle of all of this to discuss our code of conduct because we felt it should be refreshed in today's world for all our people, a 100 plus thousand of them working around the world.
0: So to summarize all of this, what should our listeners really take away, if you distill it down to maybe three key points that they should remember from this podcast?
1: Well, I think as a leader, you have to, particularly in today's digital world, where one tweet based on some rumor could rupture your reputation that you might have built up over many years. So I think you have to ensure you operate with absolute integrity. You have to have very clear values and disciplines embedded in your company in the form that I've discussed, your leading governance practices, your strong central financial control, your clear and sound administration and an organization where people know what their role is and what their value should be.
0: Thank you so much. It's uh, been a tremendous honor speaking with you, Sir John. Thank you.
1: It's a great pleasure. Thank you indeed.
0: As a note for your diary, new episodes are available every first and third Thursday of the month. Subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts to never miss an episode. We love to hear from you. If you would like to contribute to a future podcast or attend our popular breakfast conversations and receive regular updates on our activities, you can reach us on info at better